pay you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the French Toast Hour. It is I, your ever grateful host, the subtle doctor, self-professed mechaholic, and fan of all things robot, here to guide you through the turbulent waters of our darling. Uh, And with me, as always, it is the man with one of the cooler avatars on the internet, but he's much more handsome in real life. Shut on! Oh, aren't you sweet? Aren't you sweet? You break hearts saying that, Doc. Well, <laughs> hello everyone. How are we all doing this fine evening? Uh, I hope everybody out there is well. Uh, I am certainly less cold. You can probably hear that I sound much better than episode one of this stream of thought here because the blizzard, it was actually the second blizzard uh, in a row that I was undergoing at that time, has uh, completely dissipated and... I am back in the usual recording location. Excellent. I just imagine, though, like, when that was all over, you had to dig yourself out. Did, like, did you get your kids to help you? Did you put them to work? Like, you know, finally earn their keep? Dig you out from the bunker? <laughs> they, uh, they earned those Christmas toys. Let's put it that way. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> you just, just imagine someone walking on the surface and then seeing a straw poke out through the snow. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like a, it's also a children's pink bendy straw. It's a little periscope. Yes. <laughs> oh, but I'm back, you're back, and we're here to continue with our discussion of the A1 slash Trigger co-production, Darling in the Fonch. Are you going to use, like, every stream of thought that we do as an excuse to start trying to sound, like, French and suave? Maybe. I mean, I mean, you are getting, like, through Demare and Darling in the Franks delivered to you on a silver platter here, but we'll do, like, <laughs> w- when we get round to it, we'll do something like One Punch Man Season 2. Like, exactly. And, and you'll be what saying that, do? One Punch Man. Like, oh, that Ooh. was terrible. Oh. Oh. 
Maw. <laughs> see why me, folks? Do you see why me? Do you see why I have to pull up with it? All right. Here we go. Here's the rundown of episode two, What It Means to Connect. It needs to fuck. No, really. Like, <laughs> I can't even... I can't even discuss this episode without thinking to myself, every line, pretty much every line delivered when they're in the cockpits in this episode is a euphemism or a, or a metaphor or an analogy or whatever you want to call it. Oh, stop it. You just have a, you just have a dirty mind. It's not that. Speak the fuck are the guys who made this show. It's perfectly above board. Come on. The, the, there's, an, there's an ass so large in one of these shots that it was like an eclipse. That's what we Brits call it, a total eclipse. Like, hard cut to someone taking, like, a girl taking her panties off, and it's just foreground and centre. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> I think you should reflect on your own life. I think the show is showing you that, uh, you know, that you are in the gutter, and you need to be purified. Because I, for one, did not take any of it as double entendre or innuendo at all. Okay, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. For anyone out there that thinks that's not true. I was going to say, Doc, every polygraph machine in this state of Tennessee <laughs> just blew up. And you weren't even connected to any of them. No, this episode is lathered in innuendo like the pieces of meat that 028 uh, are lathered in honey, was it? Maple syrup? Something that she thought was sweet. Anyway, we'll get to that scene. The first scene that we see is... Um, Hero having a bit of an inner monologue as the Franks, uh, Strelizia? Strelizia is, like, docked, and he's kind of moving around. He has no memory of the battle, but he believes that he fought uh, and piloted the Franks, fought the Klaxonsaur under his own power, that he wasn't just the completely passive uh, passenger here. (laughs) <laughs> and that 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 theory of his that belief of his is challenged throughout the episode by numerous things um we get to see uh ichigo we learn about her a little bit like th- th- this episode does an okay job i think of showcasing the other parasites the secondary characters we get to see their personalities and mm-hmm. uh you know you've got ichigo who is kind of loyal protective friend of hero who is pretty transparently harboring some feelings for him i would say what remind me um i can't believe i'm bringing this up but it feels close to it in some respects what was the name of the one character we kind of sort of liked from the love heena christmas special the girl who i can't remember her name oh the samurai lady right no uh no. She did Shinobu. There we go. Oh, 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 yes. Yes, the poor, innocent little child that uh, was used by that fucker. Yes, Shinobu. This felt like Shinobu Light to me in a number of respects, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, my. I, I think she's got a little bit more attitude and initiative than poor Shinobu, but... Yeah, that that's true, but man, like... Just wait until we get to the ending bits, and I'll just be like, "God damn it, hero! You're not bad as bad as hero Yui, but you're down, going down, going down." Is anyone? Is anyone in the history of of ones as bad as hero Yui? Fei? Fuck you, beat me! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh, I did notice that the ties 
that characters have on have uh the letters of uh the male and female chromosomes on them whoa okay <laughs> x x and y are on the are on the ties that that's a neat uh, detail but i can't help but be a cynic and just think that that's like a really oblique way of just saying just in case you weren't sure what gender yeah. this person was just in case you couldn't tell <laughs> well exactly like it's a it's a nice detail that is like a signifier for some bullshit <laughs> like you know oh uh, boy it just it feels like here are the two genders you know what i mean it just ugh, ugh, didn't like that it but you know totally could be projecting here and you know we'll see i'm waiting for the show to dissuade bloom. me to, of uh, to bloom yeah to dissuade me of all the sort of um the negative impressions that i'm having of it I think that personally it's turning into a fantastic comedy. Because I can't take any of it seriously. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that that could be one way to, to view this thing eventually. <laughs> if we <laughs> if we end up going like if we just continue to go and we end up souring on it, perhaps it could be an unintentional comedy. Well, when I say that, I'll I do have an alternative hypothesis, which we'll come back to later. But anyway, uh, please continue. <laughs> We found out that uh, Naomi lived. How? Don't don't know. Don't know. Fucking hell! I think even Bugs Bunny would need to take a breather after falling into that mess. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. Uh, I feel like they're setting us up for some really forced drama that could potentially happen between or, or some like she will be a source of guilt for Hero whenever we're feeling like he's gonna press on, proceed you know, take the bull by the horns and, and accomplish some things. Oh, he's, he's going he's gonna to be taking someone by the horns if he has his way eventually. <laughs> oh. well, no, we'll get there. People don't know what you're talking about yet because they haven't seen the episode. They surely will listen to this before they watch the episode because that's the right way to do this. It's not at all. It's not at all the right way to do this. Yeah, so somehow she inexplicably has lived and is in a hospital waiting for the chance to uh, become a, a millstone around the neck of our main character, dragging him down into navel-gazing, anxious, and guilt-ridden depths. And so we find this out during the conversation that Ichigo and Hiro are having, because they are friends before, like they have some kind of relationship that seems to, to go back. I hesitate to say childhood friend because, you know, that may not be the case, but they seem hmm. pretty close. And Ichigo is trying to dissuade him from piloting with Zero Two again, saying like, look, she's got this reputation and I'm very protective of you. <laughs> she doesn't say that, but this is written all over her face. So don't don't pilot with her. And Hiro just basically says, look, if I can't pilot, then I'm as good as dead anyway. So I don't care if, if she has eaten stamens. And uh, so what do you I mean? What do you say to that? Like. It's a value that the society blatantly enforces. So, yep. look, if he doesn't have utility by being a pilot, then whatever. And then the things that are necessary to be a pilot and have utility are things that are, well, I'll just say it, problematic. Yeah. I mean, in the post-apocalyptic storyline, I am not against the idea of, say, conscription as a narrative mechanic. Because... When you're on the, the brink of, of collapse, and to be fair, Frank's 
at times doesn't seem to sell that very well to me, particularly with the dinner scene that we yeah, get. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, mm-hmm. generally speaking, like, I've made this complaint before about things like Macross Frontier. Okay, things are going downhill, or are already downhill. But the shows and the environments don't seem to suggest this. Like, I understand, like, you know, that Hero wants to be, you know, needed. He wants to be valued. He wants to pilot because it gives him a, a reason to go about and do his thing. But to be quite frank, like, or to be quite frank, I suppose, eh, um, to be quite frank, there isn't really a consequence that we've seen for his failure beyond just simply his own self-worth. There's no, like, you know, you're going to be cleaning out the toilets in this place for the rest of your days if you can't pilot, or anything like that. Well, so in the in the first episode, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to go back to the orphanage, and I know that you're you're saying that that's a self-worth thing. It's It seemed to be impacting, or at least part of what impacted Naomi as she was getting on her giant ball train. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> a large spherical op- transportation object. The Technodrome from um, yeah, Teenage Mutant exactly, Ninja Turtles. Yes, Just without painted the brown. treads. Presumably the giant ping pong ball. Shredders, ball. we've got the Fraxes coming after us. <laughs> that's, that's really bad. That, that's, um, that's Krang after he's had a tequila or two. <laughs> Ah, shouts to him. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I think, I don't know if it's stated, I can't remember if it's stated outright or not, but um, it sure seems like going back to the orphanage is the equivalent of, like, disappearing. Mm. We just haven't seen it, though, and, like, I mean, orphanages, generally speaking, are places you do not want to be. I get that, absolutely. But it's just on that basis that we take it to be a bad thing. Like, is there a more personal touch to that? that... Uh, well, so, well, by disappearing, I guess I mean getting dead. Getting dead, ah. Yeah, there was an air of menace, just a hint of it, Hmm. that seemed to be around the idea of going to the orphanage. You know, it seemed like they wanted him to stay on. I'm not sure if they gave that choice to Naomi or not, but... That fellow in episode one was like, are you sure you want to do that? And he's like, yep. And then as he's leaving, I feel like they did say something about what, like, how permanently cut off you are that, I don't know. I don't know what it implies. You're right. Like, there's there's an air of mystery about it that I, I that I kind of like, but I hope it does, you know, I hope later on they don't just turn up at an orphanage silo and people are like, you know, playing on the slip and slide or whatever. <laughs> uh, one can hope, one can hope, but... That would suck. Yeah, that would that would be um, a bit lame, let's put it that way. I mean, there's a lot of, like, classic sci-fi uh, post-apocalypse, you know, dystopian future set, uh, stories, which make their punishments and penalties for, fa- for failure or for breaking the rules very obvious. I mean, for as problematic as it is, there's Logan's Run, for example, which is, you get to a certain age and you're done. That's it. And... At the moment, like, with Franks, everything looks fantastic, and that's a testament to the visual design, but there's not much sense to it. Mm. I don't even really know at this point, like, two episodes in, how we got to this point as far as the Pokus Apocalypse goes. Like, the Klaxosaurs are barely mentioned once in this episode. There's no... Okay, let's take either. Let's just go straight to Evangelion comparisons, because they are inevitable. And I'm not even going to talk necessarily about the visual, I'm just talking about the opening's premise 
immediately we get the impression, like, you know, that this the angels are going down, smashing the hell out of the city, and there's immediate threats to people. We haven't seen any, like, regular citizens at this point of the society in the Franks. I don't have a second clue where the Klaxosaurs came from, if they're a persistent threat, or if they're just natural, you know, predators, like, if they're being actively sent here by an outside force. I've got no hints of that. I, I don't know. Something rings very hollow about this, and... I want there to be a bit more tension behind what's going on. I yeah. want, like, at the moment, a lot of what happens in episode two to me feels basically like a parallel of high school drama. Yeah. And that's all well and good because I did, after all, you know, rate a high school drama as my favorite anime of last year, Scum's Wish. <laughs> and the comparison there is actually more apt than you'd think given the sexual overtones of that one versus the undertones of this one. And. Un- undertones, he says. Yes. There's tones. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, no. They, 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 uh, yeah. Look, I would to completely rip off a tweet that my friend Pat's Prime said. Can you say a tweet? A tweet that he tweeted. Uh, it's barely even a metaphor. <laughs> no, it's very, very on the nose. And you know what? I, we've not even cited any examples of this yet. But chances yet. Are, we'll get there. We'll get there. But chances are good that you, the listener, probably are aware of them if you have been following people on your Twitter feed or just generally keeping up with the social media buzz on this particular show. I, I have no issue with any of this sort of like, you know, imagery if it's being used to make a point about the way that yeah. these characters are developing. And I'm not just talking specifics, I'm more like generally as well about, you know, how kids mature and age and how they deal with, you know, sexual inadequacy and like, you know, naivety, you know, inexperience. Because, let's be honest, right, a lot of shows, a lot of fiction tend to, especially in anime, when they have a male protagonist, tend to paint him as the sexual ubermensch just under, you know, waiting to be unleashed once he gets the opportunity with any variety of women he so chooses. I mean, Grisaia, that you're playing right now, even though Yuji himself, like, you know, is in many ways not a blank slate or a cipher that you can so easily, you know, see yourself in, he's a machine, we'll call it, let's put it that way. (laughs) <laughs> and there's not a lot of literature out there that openly admits to, you know, the fact that a lot of characters simply have no clue what they're doing and often act without any real education. So the point I'm trying to get to at the end of this long-winded tangent is maybe that's what Franks is going to go for and maybe it will not necessarily be about the wider world at all and it will be more about the character interplay and how they, you know, learn and deal with these situations. Because what happens with Ichigo in this episode Like, it's pretty standard, like, you know, high school jealousy, you know, feeling threatened by an invading force. And that is all well and good. How dare you take my side piece? (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) This is is what Ichigo says to Zero Two. Yes. (laughs) I, I, I just think, like, you know, I'm all okay with it being very on the nose if it's in the service of something. But the problem is, is I'm not getting much hints of what it is in service of, to be quite frank. Yeah, oh, 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 Frank, I I see what you did. Oh, I'm, I'm going to keep doing that, and I, I'm going to. Oh. You can make a drinking game out of this, folks. Honestly, well, just to address something that you pointed out, like I think you're totally right that I think the sense of place in this show, there's not really a strong one just yet, and I also want more world details. I mean, there's a little bit of detail insofar as like the governmental structure, you know. What the pet? What the power structure? You know what the star chamber looks like, and mm-hmm. what's happening, and and what have you behind closed doors? Uh, but yeah, no, I I also feel like 
we need some more flavor. But I think it's pretty typical for episode twos of these kind of stories to, like, take a second to breathe because episode one, there's usually some kind of um, big action showpiece. Yeah. And the second episode will be like, here's the people, right? I mean, like, the for good or for bad, the thing that people come to anime for is characters and characters drive anime as a product sure and uh, yeah i think it was taking the most time this time to just show what it could of the personalities hmm. yes <clears throat> but but i but i want more of the world I do. yeah i mean i just find it a bit telling that we haven't even seen a single civilian person yet like a single average joe no you know random people in the streets no we have no idea who they're fighting for the the, the parasites we have no idea what society looks like inside of the domes i don't know it yeah. just i think it really just needs a bit more to give us you know some idea of what hero wants to fight for other than the to prove himself that he's to or to prove to others that he's not quote unquote impotent yep in fact no no i take that back that's there's no, no. quote unquote yeah i was gonna that's exactly <laughs> there's no quote unquote about it i mean I'm just literally would not even be surprised at this point if the solution to Hero's problems were that he popped Viagra before jumping in the cockpit. Oh man, there is so gonna be like a like a Viagra peddler, <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna somehow ruin things. It w- it wouldn't uh, surprise me in the slightest. But anyway, uh, carry on. Carry. Gonna be like I want to disconnect. I wanted to. I can't help it. We're still connected. It's still going. No, stop. And it's hard. <laughs> that those puns are not going to stop, folks. I, I, I mean, I can't even possibly outdo Frank's itself. I know on the on that front. So as far as I'm concerned, I've got free license to be as crude as I please, which is great. It's a truly dulled my filthy mind. <laughs> the next scene after the next big scene after the dialogue between the two friends is the eating scene <sighs> is it i think it's breakfast it's a nice breakfast it's really lavish and that everyone has full plates of all kinds of goodies um we see uh, my notes i have in all capital letters the word sauce yes be- because we see zero to eating and of course um the eccentric uh lady that she is the outsized personality She's dumping some kind of sauce all over her her seemingly raw slab of meat and just eating it with her hands in one gulp, very cartoony. Uh, and you get to see all the other pilots, the, the other code numbers, making making comments about her. And, you know, some of them are like, oh, maybe she's nice. What do you think she likes? And some of them are like, she's weird. And some of them are like, hey, baby, why don't you come co-pilot with me? And then immediately, and then immediately freaks out because zero zero two reacts to him by wiping some of this maple syrup on this guy's he shirt, puts it on his shirt, and he well, that's it, game over. He got KO'd. It was super effective. No, my Sunday best. That guy, oh god, um, Zorome, like the pint-sized bully. Just I, oh, <laughs> I, I want to. Yeah, he's a he's a small dog with a lot of bark. Like I, I want to like him, but. He really does keep being super annoying. I mean, it's not a Bakugo in My Hero Academia situation that 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 sort of is triggering for me. But but this guy definitely bites my nerves. Uh, I yeah. think he needs to. I would like for him to chill. But also, I appreciate the like comedic situations that his extreme overconfidence leads to. I have two points to make about this gentleman. Uh, the first off is, did you spot his code number? 
is it uh is it 69 no 666 oh fuck (laughs) i cannot believe that like I, this is why I can't take this show seriously, because when it's literally 666, I'm like, oh, he's got to do a heel turn later. He's got to be a traitor. He's got to be a fucking backstabber. This guy is the Judas at this Last Supper. I'm calling it now. He's going to get his 30 fucking pieces of silver, and he's going to spend every last dollar of it. I think they just want to make him, like, a badass or whatever, or con- <laughs> contribute to that that, like, aura he has of, you know... I'm so awesome. I'm so cool. My code number is co- like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't. We'll see. I mean, it could certainly develop that way. Anything's, you know, possible at this point. I, I hope he did pick that code number himself. Because to be frank, the only time you should be appending six 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 to anything is if you're setting up a MySpace profile when you're twelve. <laughs> There's there might be certain aspects of them you can pick, but I actually don't think like it. It sounded like um based on some conversation that uh. Uh, is it Miku? I think is Zorame's partner, and Ichigo were having, like, well, certainly in Zero Two's case, she's special because they don't assign single-digit code numbers, like, ever. And mm-hmm. double-digit code numbers are apparently elite. Um, I don't know if th- if that's a skills thing, because, of course, you see Hero is zero sixteen, so he's a double-digit, but his skills don't appear to be elite. It might be a class thing in society, mm. and that would sort of explain in some sense why Zorame is so, like, I'm going to pop out my chest and tell you how bad I am because he's had to scrap and claw and fight coming from lower class, you know, as someone who's not a double-digit elite, you know, he's a tri- mm. he's a triple-digit commoner. So, yeah, I, I think if, if that all bears out, then... Um, then I can, like, sort of see where his personality comes from. Doesn't mean I have to like it, though. Well, to be fair, the second part I was going to make is that he's basically, I already have him marked as the cipher of this show. Oh? <laughs> if Hero is Squall, he is cipher. Oh! Oh! That that guy. Yeah. Yes. I thought, I thought you meant the self-insert, or, like, the blanks, like, no, you mean the Final Fantasy VIII <laughs> He totally is. Yes, I he do. He fucking so is. Oh my god. He's the fucking cypher of this Jesus. show. I swear. And this is why I can't take god. this seriously. Two, two hateable <laughs> bastards you just referenced. Oh god. Like, anyway, um, the thing is though, like, as much as I might, you know, have a laugh and a joke at um Triple Six's expense, this dialogue and the way that these characters interact, particularly his rivalry with Hero. If you read it literally as, you know, that old thing of, I got laid before you. Yeah. Then it then his dialogue absolutely doesn't need to be translated from, like, the current context to that context. Because this is one of the things I actually wonder if Franks will do. And if it does, it will redeem itself significantly. Which is, I hope they actually, te- you know, take tackles this head on. Because what this is, is this is adolescent toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I'm going to get laid before the lot of you. Losing your virginity early is great, even though the first time you do it, everyone, bar none, will be butting heads with whoever they're fucking. They don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. They'll look at the peers and be like, what the fuck's this? I don't know what I know where the fuck this goes. Like, there's an environment I, I've seen firsthand that where in school and in college, when I say college, I mean like late high school in Britain. So when you're like okay. 17 mm-hmm. or 16, there's a there's an environment amongst men which is like, you know, you you got to lose it. And if you don't lose it, you're, you're terrible. 
And then there's like a it feels like a race and a competition to get there oh, first. Can I just say though, before you continue, that's not just the UK thing. <laughs> oh no, I, I yeah. totally believe yeah. that that's a thing in the US yeah. and probably in a lot of other Western um, societies as well. Sure, and and even others like, but th- this conversation here that he has with Hero and the rivalry that develops throughout is him basically believing he did, that he got beaten to the punch, right, and. Whether or not, like, Hero did indeed do what he did, or if it was all 002, it doesn't matter. His perception is that regardless. And part of me wonders and hopes that maybe Franks could now take this stepping point of having established this parallel to real world, like, you know, young kids and the horrible, like, you know, social standards that they place on each other, and then maybe tear that down over time, maybe humanize and make them realize, you know, that this whole thing that they're being wrapped up in is a lie and that the expectations don't matter. They don't need to be treated like that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that there's an opportunity here for them to take this show in a direction. Now, when yeah. I say that, I, of course, I'm not naive enough to believe that there's something going to U-turn on a, on a dime on this because it's, of course, already been done. So, yeah. But there's a bit... It's not something I can write off at this point because there's an open possibility here. Yeah, I think, like, there are a couple different ways that the show could try to subvert the types and tropes that it is um, laying out. One of them, which we talked about in the first episode, was the show showing us that the beliefs that like the ruling government and that the society has about heteronormativity are wrong that they don't measure up, that they're not complete, that they're alienating, etc., etc. So the show could do that. Or the show could do, I think, some of what you're talking about and not like, not necessarily sort of conclusively dunk on those ideas, but sort of hold up a mirror and be like, this show, or be a mirror, this show is a mirror. And the things hmm. that you're seeing in here, these behaviors that you're kind of, that are that are making you squicky and, and shudder are like these real life behaviors that are bad. Now, I think it in the scene we'll talk about fairly soon, I think it has like if it wanted to be that kind of a tool, it has blunted itself a lot. <laughs> by like it by it it's hurt its own cause by kind of reveling and indulging in like objectification and yeah heteronormativity and all these things like so that it's just it's making it it each episode of the two like has made me feel less confident about it doing that and if it doesn't do that you know it's it's not every show has to do that it's just a thing that i would want it to do Hmm. yeah i mean i just have to think to myself though like if it isn't willing to engage with these issues if the show says over time, oh, there could be something here, but I can't be bothered with that. Fuck that noise. What does it have instead then? Because we haven't really had the any robots. balls. The, the robots, yes. But why then clutter it up with all of this other stuff? That's true. I mean, what is it trying to say, right? I mean, I think yeah, it's. I, I think you. the show certainly can't get away with saying i'm not trying to say anything no i mean all these motifs and innuendos and the entire setup of the society is incredibly intentional so i think mm-hmm. you can't just sort of say it doesn't mean anything that is foolish exactly 
but then what is its ultimate message? And I'm not quite... I, I, I have hopes for it. And to be fair, this is still episode two. <laughs> yes, of 22 or 24, we're a 12th of the way through. <laughs> I think I think that when it comes to stuff like this, like this again is one of the things that I said about when we were doing Stream of Vought on MMO Junkie, in that as things emerge, we have to take a, a measured perspective on this. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, give the show time to unfold. Because we always have the benefit of hindsight when we do our longer form podcasts, where we've watched the thing in full. With this, maybe there is a longer goal. I mean, we've done so many shows where things have gone in directions I did not expect. Like, say, for example, Cado, for better or for worse, that way a direction I did not expect. The wrong direction. Oh. No. So we'll oh. see. We'll see. That being said, I have one of the things to say about the dinner scene, or rather two things, which is, as you rightly pointed out, they've got a lot of food on the plate for a post-apocalypse in domed cities. Like, meat, fruit, veg, the whole kit caboodle. And don't get me wrong, there's some great sakuga of the food here. <laughs> yeah that that's all well and good like i love my food pod but where, how are they sustaining all this like yeah make, like breeding 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 and rearing cattle for or <laughs> livestock is extraordinarily intensive now okay it's the it's the it's the future fine whatever but it still kind of defangs the whole post-apocalypse feel of this whole thing when no one's in immediate threat in ways other than the Klaxosaurs. Yeah. Like, at that point, at that point, the Klaxosaurs just feel more like a nuisance than anything. Like, here's a thing we have to deal with in the same way, you know, that if it rains, you might want to pour up an umbrella when you step outside. This is the thing about stuff like with Kaiju and also with dystopias and with post-apocalypses and, like, where things start going downhill is that the actual thing that drives the apocalypse needs to also have secondary effects to make you feel um, more strongly about the material and to see how we deteriorate, how we crumble. We've just, we covered this in Devilman. We did. We've literally covered this in Devilman. And I could name another couple of examples, like one of my favourite novels of all time, The Day of the Triffids. That is a novel in which the most of humanity is rendered blind by a meteor, and that then allows the Triffids of the title, which are... Um, plants uh, reared sentient plants reared for the vegetable oil they create breaking loose but it's also about you know societies forming after the blindness epidemic kicks out like how people take advantage of each other how they try and sort out food and there's military hierarchy and all that sort of stuff and frank so far we've had the claxosaur attack and i have no real foundation for why things are the way as they are and I'm not even expecting, like, the whole thing to be revealed right now. That would be silly. I'm not expecting the show to put all its cards on the table. But I want hints. I want one or two things like, okay, this is how long it's been since they started appearing. This is, like, how many people are left. Things are desperate. Give us give us a sense that things are not good. The hints that we've gotten are seemingly... Well, they're, they're few this episode, and they're seemingly all about, like, the societal structure and the... um how the parasites sort of you know a little bit about their school and and what that's like a little bit about the government a little bit about like a teeny tiny bit about zero two and yeah it's all been very like it's it's a the tiniest of drips but yeah Mm -hmm. none of them have been about like the situation writ large no but on a positive note i have found or rather we've already talked about one of the redeeming elements of the show so far 002 is just fantastic to watch. Yeah. 
it's great just watching her do her own thing and not give two flying shits about what anyone thinks. So confident. I, I, I love it. The embodiment of self-assurance. I absolutely adore it. Like, I could literally watch a show in which she just went about her everyday life and just basically, you know, people like, no, don't do that. And she's like, oh, whatever. Who gives a fuck about what you think? She she is, um like, if you imagine Nono from Gunbuster consulting with her conscience, Zero Two is the devil on her shoulder. Oh, that's a, that is a damn fine metaphor, if I do say so. <laughs> or rather a simile, but you yes, know what I mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> but no she's she's awesome like she's like i mean she is the show at this point right yes like with if not for this character i mean you just you have the most bland thing in the world well that's a that's not fair because there are like the show visually and no like, yeah you're right is, that is, is not yes there there are details about it that i that i like for sure uh, oh shit speaking of which what did you think of the op now that we finally got it oh yeah that was pretty cool i enjoyed that a lot very very that nice was super stylish i love every second stylish. of it oh yes i mean 002's naked as a as a jaybird in it and survived, saved only by her trench coat which if i didn't know any better i would think the show was like I, i'd think the show was like trying to you know that's the old sex play, isn't it? Like, you know, your girlfriend turns up and she's got nothing but a trench coat on and shoes. <laughs> but no, I'm not. No, that's not what it is all. <laughs> she needs to get her hat back, though. Yes, I she does. The, again, costume design this show, pretty spot on. Very, very solid. So Z- Zero Two is taken away by, is it Nana? Mm, is she... It's either Nana or Mama. Okay, so one of the sort of familial terms, like to the the matriarch of the situation, their their uh, supervisory lady, uh, the lady mm-hmm. who was uh, uh, unfortunately groped in the first episode, uh, comes mm-hmm. in and takes Zero Two away, and you get one of the hints I was talking about in the sort of ominous elevator ride in which mm-hmm. she tells Zero Two to not associate with the parasites anymore. Zero Two just says, I feel cramped in here. And then cut to the mysterious meeting. Oh. Like I do I do like how the show, despite not tipping its hand too much, has already tipped its hand that Hero is the special and he has hidden potential that we don't know about. I- Robo Bishops. Robo Bishop. <laughs> oh god. It's Sele all over again. <laughs> Oh, Sailor's so much cooler, though. (laughs) I know, I know. I mean, these guys are all right, but literally, this scene is like, we don't want her diluted, but why not? Because he's got a hidden potential, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yes, one of them is a process person, but Papa, yes, Papa, the the first among equals of their their Star Chamber Council, uh, he's he's a results-oriented man, and he just simply says, look, it worked, we're gonna do this again. Let him fuck, I say. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Uh, but why did, like, I, I can't get over that they actually did hint here and now at Hero having hidden potential. Like, that's supposed to be the entire crux of this episode, is that will he or won't he? Well, they did, they did, they did use pronouns, so maybe they're just trying to throw us off the scent. Maybe they're talking about someone else. Fine. Who knows? Send this, <laughs> send, send this dark kid off elsewhere and let it just be 002 for the entirety of the show. I'm all right with that. Just there's, there's a time and a place for foreshadowing, but certain things, especially when the thing you're foreshadowing is the very crux of this very same episode of will he, won't he, get it up, so to speak. You know, it undoes it a little bit because I'm like, oh, if it doesn't do it this time, they'll do it later. I mean, like, that would be like in The Matrix. 
when Neo's on the rooftop and the guy's outside watching, like, Cypher, Trinity and all that, like, oh, it's okay, he'll he'll not, we know he'll not jump it, but it doesn't matter, we'll jump it later. They tell us that after he's actually done it, so we have some tension building up about that. Whereas here it's like, oh, okay, he's got... He's got hidden potential that we're, we know about, but we're not going to explicitly discuss any further. So, why should I feel like, you know, there's any doubt in my mind about what's going to happen to him? I mean, if he, he didn't... Spoilers, to get ahead a little bit, but he does briefly pilot a Frank Slater on, and then it fails. But I'm not going to believe for a second that that's the end of it, because they've already undone that. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I think all the drama and suspense was in seeing if it would work out this time yeah he's by no means is he is he done for no there's no way i just wish the characters didn't explicitly tell us that ahead of the moment in which that would happen i don't know i'm kind of glad they got it out of the fucking way so that we don't have to maybe we don't have to spend as much time talking about it later because we all know it's true yeah fair enough okay so the next scene shadon is why I said that I think that if the show wanted to be a subversive tool, then it has blunted itself, and that's the changing room scene. Oh, this was the one with the ass. Yeah. The 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 total eclipse. Yep. yep. Like, that, the hard cuts of that, and I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> there, there's blatancy, and then there's, there's blatancy, and then there's just being unholy. Just being titillating. I mean, just straight yeah. up. <laughs> I mean, I mean to be to be frank, in my opinion, like again, oh. uh, take a shot, oh. take a shot, folks. To to be honest, I have not in this episode. I didn't really feel like all of the other stuff we'll get to was framed in such a way as to deliberately be a massively objectifying. I mean, it is objectifying. There's no way around that. But we're not talking for the most part like fra- like for example, say the camera is directly framed from above onto the girl's butts in the cockpit or on the boobs or anything like that. For the most part, it's wide shots of the entire cockpit or perspective shots from the male characters, etc., etc. But this was just... I felt like I'd been... I felt like I'd been hit in the face. It was like it was like getting hit by Armika's, you know, <laughs> critical art from Street Fighter V. Just one butt rather than two. <laughs> Oh, full meter. Yeah, the show had full meter and it went all in on me and I just, I was dazed afterwards. Just full, full stun. <laughs> Dizzy. Yeah. So yes, the changing room scene. Man. Like, also, the the boys' changing room scene, we didn't see shit. And I'm disappointed by that. <laughs> of course we didn't. Franks is made specifically for hetero men. Or rather made to appeal directly to that particular audience. There's no there's no doubt in my mind. There's... Or I get well, or I mean, do you think that there's appeal for uh ladies who like to see other ladies? Well like we were discussing on Twitter recently, what the show is designed for does not preclude people who it was not designed for mm-hmm. enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna pretend to speak on behalf of such people. If people like it, that's fine. But for me the explicit design of this show is if you've got a dick and you're straight, this is what we're going to deliver to you. Right. Because we know you want it. <laughs> That's, that should be that should be the back of the box. 
That really should be, if they release this physically, that it should be a direct quote on the back of the box. I mean, let's take, let's just zip back very briefly to 002 eating that slice of bacon, right? The bacon is the core premise of the show, and the sauce is the fan service. And they're lashing the fuck out of it onto that bacon, and giving it to you to wolf down in one go. Because that's how they know, or how they think, that the audience rolls. Yum. Ah, <sighs> well, yes. So the changing room scene. To, uh, th- as, a, as a precursor to the connecting these kids get a chance to connect for the first time mm-hmm. and uh well i think the first time you see uh that the female uniforms have uh handles yeah even knowing what the show's about you can't help be but be taken aback by the the sheer unmitigated goal <laughs> the audacity of it yes the temerity <laughs> I have a, I have a question. If I may raise my hand in a in a you know lecture hall style thing mm-hmm. for for the show to answer at some point, and hopefully it will. I'm going to put aside all of the fan service related stuff to the butt handles, and I never thought I'd say that in my entire wow. fucking life. But here we are. This is what Darling in the Franks has done. But let's put all that aside. Now, at no point from what I could see were the male or female pilots linked in any way. They didn't have like cables coming into each other or anything like that. Like, the male pilot was sat in the seat, the female was leaning forward. The only reason, the only fucking reasons that I could see from these cockpit scenes that this is the way it is, is because the female helmet has a monitor on the back, and because of the handles on the suit. It wouldn't be sexy enough of a metaphor if it was just, they put two helmets on and link their brains. No, they have to link their brains while in this position. (laughs) But how how is the linking happening? Because it's never ex- it's never explained. It makes me honestly oh, no. think that yeah. the, the yes. guy the guys who designed the cockpit were just taking the piss and thought, no, it'd be funny if we do it this way. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell if I know. <laughs> I, ju- I just want a diegetic reason why this is how it is, right? And I haven't got a reason from when we've been introduced, even though this is the ideal time to do it. Mm-hmm. We're we're fresh to these, this concepts. We're intrigued on what's going on. Tell us how this works. I mean, there's alpha waves, you know, there's like red and blue waves and like synchronization. It really is Pacific Rim, basically, at this point. Yep. And I have to say, like, I don't get why it's been done this way, other than simply as an out of out of fiction reason, as in to be set to be fan service. Yeah. If there's an in-universe reason, as dumb as it is that they have to be positioned this way, then I'm actually alright with that. If they in fact, hell, if they flat out came and said it. We do. We put them in this position because it is sexual, and there's a sexual connection necessary in order to activate these machines. Even if it is just literally eroticism, like the guys get aroused in front of the girls because they see them in this position. That's what gets the whole thing going because it's a metaphor for, you know, gain a hard on or whatever. Fine, I would be great. I would be all right with that. I won't necessarily like it, but I'd at least have something I can point to to offer some explanation. But I have nothing. Much in the same way as I have very little about the wider world and. I have to also say, I'm actually genuinely surprised that each cockpit didn't have different positions. I mean, we have got... Do- <laughs> they were all doggy. They were all doggy. There was no missionary, no cowgirl, none of that. And I'm like, come on! Come on, get spicy in here, right? Can we have uh... one with chains inside of it? Why the fuck not? I mean, if you're going to go all in, if you are going to go so far in as to be that blatant, I say take it further. Have no shame. They're going to encounter a Franks from a different civilization or planet, and the position will be different. 
It's the BDSM Tron 9000. <laughs> exactly. It's just oh. literally a, a robot with a ball and gag chain. <laughs> Man. Like, okay, so this is not the first anime to do things like this about, I guess, 13 years ago now. God, can't believe it's that old. Uh, In the dark ages of 2004. <laughs> Oh, five. Oh, no, sorry, ten, yeah. five. Sorry, my apologies, you're right. An anime known as Sose no Aquarion, Genesis of Aquarion, was made by Shoji Kawamori of Macross fame. And it is a robot show that I do enjoy, but when, um, unlike the Darling and the Franks uh, stuff, the each pilot is piloting in Aquarion their own individual robot, and three of them combine into uh or two of them i guess can as well and then or, and then a third one can join in to combine into the super voltron-esque get a robo thing of awesomeness uh and when these uh teenagers combine robots they have an experience that is well an orgasm Oh come oh oh come on now, Doc. They're, they're kids piloting a giant robot. Of course they're gonna be losing their shit over it. <laughs> that Okay, is... no, 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 no. That's <laughs> that's me playing it down. <laughs> that is um that is what Gatai is in that show. And they do end up in lots of different positions when the the cockpits combine. Um the cockpits. Ha 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 ha. This is why again I can't take it seriously because everything everything's a pun. Everything's a riff. You can't get everything's an innuendo. It, it like it's like Bloodhound Gang ghost writ all of the dialogue. <laughs> I'm waiting for the A. I'm waiting for the AMV of Darling in the Franks that is set to Foxtrot uniform Charlie Kilo. Oh my god! It will happen, or it should, because it fits. <laughs> I just. <laughs> what if, like, when in a future episode they're booting up the cockpit systems? You know, like it until you might blah, 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 blah. let me start when they're booting up the cockpit systems you hear over the speaker much as you would i don't know in some sort of mall or something let's do it like they do on the discovery channel yes or <laughs> or i'm gonna or i'll throw you an alternative how about stacious d's i'm gonna fuck you gently um have you never heard that one i know so i'm not as familiar with tenacious d i know a couple songs but not that one sorry i apologize the audience will get that and enjoy it oh well you just cut cut to me cut to me going ha 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 we'll, we'll i'll slip in some studio left <laughs> failing that if you are familiar with them you can at least still have the opportunity to put you know a tribute in as the opening to the devil man podcast hey yes there you go that they're is shiny, not they're shiny demon. <laughs> that's good you angels <laughs> uh, yes 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 see see i've got ideas oh boy i've lost my train of th- okay yeah okay so we're talking about aquarion and like that show of course was very blatant uh about its sexual metaphor very on the nose sexual metaphor uh, but and i haven't seen the second or third season of aquarion so maybe it ratchets things up but like it didn't make a whole goddamn universe about it. <laughs> and it seems like Frank's, like, the entire universe is built around this notion of boys and girls fucking well, in the cockpit. To, to be to be frank, you could argue that a significant quantity of existing society is built around that notion in some way or another. It's the, it, you know, now that you said that, I love this show. 
Hey! I've completely turned around on that. It's the core building block of our society. No, listen. It, yeah. So basically, I just wanted to bring that up and point out that they're similar. And you have things like Godenar as well. But th- I think this is a step beyond those things. It certainly refuses to let go of that metaphor. It, it's suffused throughout the entire the entirety of the show is is this this notion (laughs) so i think this is probably why we are expecting it to comment on this stuff right i mean could based on the fact that you know it's a trigger show and triggers is made shows that say things and the fact that the the symbolism if you will the 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 metaphor is everywhere it's not this isolated thing Hmm. yeah this is the thing like it has to now. It's kind of almost set itself up for it. It's like when you make a silly comment in public and people go, could you could you expand on that? And the show now has to do that, otherwise it'll just make a fool of itself. Oh my god, by the way. <laughs> what about... The <laughs> what about what Hero was driving while they were connecting? <laughs> oh god, wait, do you mean that, do you mean that, that robot that like... With the 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 control panel that was shaped how it was shaped, <laughs> I, I I must have missed that. What was it? Go on, Doc. Tell us explicitly. What was it shaped like? <gasps> you, did you really miss it? Was it a dick? No, <laughs> no. It was. That was my first guess. <laughs> it it was it was a setup that was exactly like it, it looked like it was like molded from some kind of like perfect mold. It, it, it looked just like a girl's ass and the handles coming out of oh god <laughs> yes like... you're right <laughs> okay so ichigo uh well no let me back up <clears throat> so after all the connecting business uh and all the really obvious like you know keep going am i doing it wrong does it hurt no you're fine or this feels weird i don't know it was weird but i kind of liked it like all all that really like obvious tomfoolery we are uh told that there's going to be a mock battle Mm -hmm. and uh it's going to involve hero because the higher-ups want to put him in action but he can't pilot with zero two despite the fact that they both want to and uh ichigo volunteers to do it because i guess she wanted it's very unclear you know that's it well it's it's not unclear. It's just complicated. You know, she's got feelings for Hero. She might have wanted to be Hero's partner at some point. Mm-hmm. But she has very high compatibility with Goro, and they've got a good thing going. And they're official partners, Goro also being friends with Hero. So, yeah, so she volunteers really just so he won't be doing it with Zero Two, regardless of if she's up for consideration for this role. But she's not. Um, and, uh, you know, three guesses who fucking steps up and says, okay, I'll fight you, hero. I, I, that was the second time I laughed in this entire episode, like, intentionally, because he was just, the moment it was Jesse, he was like, me! Me! I know. I'll fight him! I might be a little pit sweet, but I'll have at him! I, yeah. Like I said, the cypher. Exactly. (laughs) Totally. He is literally the fucking cypher. And his partner also, uh, you know... She she is would not be sad if the high and mighty Ichigo was deposed from her perch 
by the, by the two of them. So she's on board. And so Hiro and Ichigo connect, it turns out. They establish a, a good connection and, and walk through it and uh, until uh, they fall over. <laughs> and the connection dies. think about this show you're literally describing what happened and yet you're also not actually describing what happened i can't take it seriously yes it's all all the dialogue i mean it's just it's been created this show so that all the what would be techno babble is now bathroom talk i'm sorry bedroom talk it's arrow babble yes there we go thank you what would what would have been techno babble you know connect the flux capacitor then like do we have enough cc's is now am i doing it wrong no keep going bedroom talk arrow babble as you said well what 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 do you need to say you don't use the flux capacitor in your own bedroom talk i totally (laughs) do yeah we uh what can i say we are perhaps uh less risky than you in our (laughs) in our own situation explains a lot about me to be fair (laughs) We don't need toys, Shadon, because we love each other. No, that's, yeah, okay. <clears throat> drifting drifting away from real life back to the show now. So, yeah, they they fall over, and Ichigo, of course, uh, is blaming herself. And she wanted to, like, she, this is so annoying. Like, she wants to take charge, right? Because she's done this before. It's Hero's first time really while being conscious uh so it's really his first time and like we're told earlier on that the stamen the man has to take the lead and has to consider whether or not the pistol the lady can keep up and they have to be in sync you know the man can't just run roughshod over the woman they have to be in sync but uh ichigo taking the lead i feel like is part of why this experiment failed it also didn't help that Hero mm. felt a ton of guilt and didn't feel the special magic that he felt with Zero Two. Turns out he needs to be in love. He can't just have casual sex. <sighs> right. Okay. Okay. In hindsight, this seemed really annoyed yeah. me. I'll tell you why. It fucking annoyed the shit out of me. I'll tell you why it annoyed me. Because Ichigo starts crying over this. Mm-hmm. She breaks down in tears that she can't help Hero accomplish what he needs to do. Does Hero, at any point in this scene, show any consideration towards how she feels or say, no, it's not you, or anything to that effect? To my memory, nope. Not one fucking iota of sympathy from him. Not a bit. He's turned inward and just thinking, like, I'm not soaring. That special feeling is gone. (laughs) He's outright saying this stuff out loud as well while she can hear it. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. What if we, what if we kisu? Because me and Zero Two kisued. And then fireworks. Bazam. And let's do that. But but they don't know what kissing is, which, lol, right? I mean. I, well, I've I've seen theories postulated that maybe the idea is that this is a post-sex test tube baby. You uh know, we're all born uh in that society. Sure, I could buy that. To which I have one point to make. If that's the case, why are they breeding all of these kids? Like, if they breed all these kids in tubes, why is Hero faulty, quote-unquote, since he can't operate a Franks properly like everyone else? Seems like a bit of a misstep, in my opinion. You know, 
you get a lemon every now and then i guess <laughs> you get it's like you know when you get chocolate like a kit kat with no wafer inside of it <laughs> yes yes fucking hell but but honestly right fuck that guy because this all of course is allegory or no not even allegory literally is about sex and ichigo if we take that as literally as we say ichigo has literally put herself out there for him in the most intimate way possible for these kids to have shot actually fucking and now it's made her feel ashamed because it didn't work yeah and he does not in any way show her any sympathy no uh fuck you <laughs> yeah he's he's oh oh don't really do, do, don't like him a, a whole lot at the moment at all no it's very it's all me 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 during the the scenes of with ichigo frustratingly like well not frustratingly but she is frustrated and she's you know shedding tears she's angry she's upset you see on the hud uh a shot of zero two yawning and just kicking yep. her feet back like well told you so i told you to take care yeah. of my darling and look just like i knew you would you fucked it up yeah exactly i mean it's like i said to you before it's ichigo feels like she's fretting a little bit by double o two she's you know here's a here's this new girl out of nowhere who's confident and sexy and doesn't give two shits about what people think she does what she likes and she's intruding on Presumably the man that she wants. I mean, they're basically, yes, they're preening and fighting for this useless D-bag. Like, yeah. (laughs) In some way, Ichigo's behavior is actually basically the same as Triple Six's. Whatever his name is again, I can't remember. He's just a muppet to me. Uh, Zorome. Zorome. It's it's similar to that. It's based on the same thing. It's just that it's jealousy towards 002. So if this episode was centered entirely from her perspective... And then allowed some people to give her sympathy over what happened. I'd actually come away from this a lot happier. But no, it's about the special child. It's about him and what he wants and what he needs. This is an in, also an environment that is, seems to be largely lacking in sympathy. Like, the way Hiro feels for... I'm sorry, the way Ichigo feels for Hiro seems to be rare. Like, it seems to be an atmosphere of competition rather than cooperation. Everyone's yeah. trying to get ahead of each other. And so if she messes up or has a bad experience or or fails in some way rather than helping her out encouraging her to strengthen the team they want to take her place yeah i I mean 002 so far has not actually shown any signs of her reputation of you know being cursed or eating people alive or whatever actually bearing out not even hints of it she's just been a bit odd and also she does lick it she does lick it she go in the show in the episode as well she likes the sweet way she tastes uh, well, her her previous co-pilot before uh, Hero did die. He basically fell out of the cockpit dead, and then what's-his-face got in there. <laughs> but there's no evidence that we've been presented to suggest that's down to her being incompetent. Oh, no, it no, it, it won't be. I mean, she's a fantastic pilot. The, at least if, if this goes according to form and trope, it's never the fault of the cursed pilot. The cursed pilot's an excellent pilot, but they're so excellent, and they get put in such compromising situations with terrible odds that always happens that they end up surviving when their compatriots don't Mm. i have to say as well like the whole thing you brought about the composition thing actually does further defang this whole you know post-apocalypse setting of where things bad and we have to do this thing like it is just a competition like robot jocks had a more compelling you know (laughs) conflict going on here (laughs) just 
So the whole ending of the show, with the exception again of 002's amazing yawning face of that she knew it all along and was not bothered in any way, shape or form, the whole ending of this episode just left me sour. Yeah, like, the, I mean, the more I think about it, I mean, the final shot of the show, right, is, is Ichigo shedding two tears and muttering to herself, you were terrible, hero. And, like, it's it's well, like yeah, she's he had was. a really, I mean, just a horrible, awful sexual encounter. And she's just made totally vulnerable and she's humiliated. Like, physically, she's humiliated emotionally because she took control of the Franks herself and charged at uh, Zorame and Miku and, you know, bowled them over and uh, ruined the training exercise. Like, she's been thoroughly, like, made to look bad. And uh, I did not enjoy that at all. Much much more so, like, much more egregious to me than, like, the stupid metaphor and the innuendo and all that stuff like that stuff like for me personally uh is not like a huge knock against the show it is i recognize an alienating thing that can turn people off and i totally think that's valid and and if you feel that way then i do not judge you for not watching the show but like the way they treated ichigo turned me off so much more this is the Shinobu comparison I made. Mm, mm, mm. That's why I made gotcha. it. Because she's treated like dirt by the lead character who uses her as a stow-in to get what he wants because he can't have it with the woman he may otherwise want or desire normally. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just And again, like, okay, I'll make one meager defense. And this is a defense I think can apply to a lot of of Japanese anime in general, although it doesn't necessarily excuse the actions of characters that I think that sometimes you need a bit of perspective in remembering that these are kids and that they are kids without an adult voice to guide them or, you know, give them a counter narrative. They only have each other and they don't know jack shit between them. They've got not one grain of evidence, like, you know, of knowledge or experience Unless it was from 002, I suppose. Because she knows things, but they won't want to touch with a 10-foot barge pole. So, Ichigo not comforting her after the facts. I can understand it narratively because he wouldn't know what to do. He's got no idea of etiquette in that case. You'd think he might have some idea of empathy. Yeah. Perhaps. His friend is crying. <laughs> but he's... But I, I will otherwise say that when kids act shitty like that, I can somewhat get that because inevitably sometimes you have to be a shithead in order to grow out of it. Sometimes you have to have a bad attitude and a bad perspective and then you'll learn from it. Maybe that will happen to Hero. Maybe next episode he'll come back and he'll apologise for him. We'll get that again. This is only episode two. But suffice to say, this episode in general did not endear itself very much to me. At times, I was laughing when I shouldn't have been because I just couldn't take it seriously. And the times that I took seriously were the times that, generally speaking, I was just snarling at it. And I don't want that to be the case. I like how the show looks. I like the music. 002 is a great character. There could be something in there, as I've said, with the fact that this is an allegory for growing up in a highly sexualized, charged environment, as it often is in high school. 
you know, when you're that age, when you're finally of legal age and you know you think to yourself, right, time to burn the midnight oil and it's never as quite as simple as that, no matter what you society or mass media makes it out to be. But it seems to have absolutely no interest in that. And I don't know what it ultimately is interested in trying to tell me at this point. I've not got a clear idea. Like, this show is 24 episodes. There are shows that are half that length that by episode two already at least have me give, have given me hints of where they're planning on going. I had an idea at the start of MO Junkie what the show was going to be about. Like, the first episode, that was crystal clear to me. We've got her living out her life, you know, escaping into the, you know, the MMO world and then being dragged back and then her trying to manage these two lives. Instantaneous. And that was a show that had 10 episodes to work with and admittedly still didn't quite fulfill what I'd hoped for it. But at least I understood from the outset within the first 22, 24 minutes of it what it was meant to be about. What Darling in the Franks is about is beyond me. No, I take that back. If it, it could very well just literally be about TNA in an egregious way. It could very much just be that. Yeah, but it, it can't. I mean, so yes, it is about that, but um, but it also seems to be about <laughs> about heteronormativity and double thumbs up for oh, that. Oh, great! Um, fantastic. I, you know what? Let me let me throw so, let me throw something out there, right? Just just because now. Call me wrong here, but maybe, you know, if it was, if you'd at least have two lesbians in it, you're like, you know, as a partners, maybe that might be appealing to the same audience who are also into the hetero stuff. That seems to be a sub-market there. I don't, I don't fucking know. I'm just saying that you can have even that as a pathetic excuse for including it. Maybe do something more than that. Uh, Maybe that'll happen later on. Maybe there will be, you know, less heteronormative stuff, although all the hints suggest otherwise. I'm not hopeful. That's why I'm. That's why I'm going to end this on my my expectations are lowered, yep. and that is a shame. But persevere, we shall. For now, I'll say I. Whew, I mean, right now I feel super cold on the show, so I am not going to take it off the table that we might pull the plug on this. If the sh- I, I plan to give it a fair shake, but. Uh, but no more than that if it continues to um, just be waste our time. Yeah, yeah, to to, to be to be bad. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I mean, let's just put it this way, folks. I think there can be no more damning indictment of a story than if you don't want to finish it. Mm. Sure, we've seen some right shit on Warrior Death Show in the past. We've seen some absolute howlers, but we did that in a format that allowed that didn't allow us to you know call it quits to tap out halfway through and. At the certain point, you can, I think it's fair to say, say no more. I said it was Sword Art Online, and granted, I had no hope for that when it started, but much as I've always said about that show, there was potentially then, I hope for something to come of it, and nope. Nope, 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 nope. So, we'll see. We'll see. In, if you want me to conclude right here and now, because we do like the old scoring system, I will give this episode two out of five maple syrup-soaked pieces of bacon. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I can't really, I can't add much of anything to what you said. I'm pretty disappointed at this stage. And it's funny, we were talking before the podcast after I'd seen it, and what I was telling you was a little bit more upbeat, because I was thinking about the visual design and everything, but just the more I reflect on uh, what actually happens in the show, and the more I think about the end of the episode, woof, woof. So... 
man, there are so many other great robot shows that we could be watching <laughs> that it really bums me out. It bums me out because it's Trigger. I know. I know. We didn't even get any robots in this. Well, I mean, you know, they're, I take, yes, there are robots walking around, but like the real, the sweet robo action, you know, transformations, lights, battles, punch it, like that was basically not there. They were hissing each other with wiffle bats. I'm all about like the pat labor style realism and training exercises, but this is not that setting. The, realism? Is, <laughs> it's that's the most re- pat labor is like the most realistic robot show. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not laughing at pat labor. I'm laughing at realism in the sense of dying. Yeah, I know. The I know. I know. But this is not. This, this is totally not going for that. And I want bombast. Give me what I'm here for. This show, I've just realized, introduces a version of the Oculus Rift that is designed for someone else to watch while you're wearing it. <laughs> that fucking female oh helmet. God. <sighs> so funny. <laughs> what, do you reckon they could, like, you know, play Zelda Breath of the Wild on that shit <laughs> if they're bored? Oh, can you just tilt your head a little bit to the left, my dear? It's a bit off. I can't see what I'm doing. Oh, the new job simulator came out. To the cockpit. <laughs> Imagine if it was a touchscreen, you just kept poking the back of the head. You were doing a rhythm game. <laughs> Oh, this is hurting. No, I'm on a two. I'm on a 250 perfect streak right now. Shut up. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I I am also. I'm gonna give this show. Boy, it was gonna be high, slightly higher, but I'm I'm gonna because of our discussion also give it two tiny bullies out of five. <laughs> I. I... <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day that I'd watch a mecha show that was literally written by the people behind Carry On. Like, fuck my just life. teenagers writing this show, it feels like, up to this point. <sighs> okay, just to dial back something I said before, like, I am sad that Trigger are doing this, and it's not quite up to what I've seen before. Yeah. But there's a, there's a couple of things in that, one, it's not entirely Trigger, it's also A1 Pictures. Mm-hmm. So let's not entirely portion blame it. And let's again just remind ourselves... That it's 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 Idolmaster's fault again. We blamed it in the oh, you're right. shit <laughs> podcast. Shit, you're right. Fuck my life, oh. you're right. That yeah, apparently one of the writers was the one dir- of the directors. Yeah, no, of the direct the chief director of this show uh, directed Idolmaster movie and TV. So I I misspoke slightly in that uh, last episode that he definitely has directed TV before. Not a ton, but like. He's the Idolmaster guy. Like, and so what What has happened of Idolmaster? He's directed a lot of it, TV and movie. I think I've read also that the writer behind this is the guy who did Plastic Memories. Yep. He, uh, yeah, and, well, and all the, you know, semicolon science adventure VN adaptations, yes. Yeah. What was, I've, I know very little of Plastic Memories. Do you know anything about it? The name is very familiar. But I can't say that it immediately springs anything to mind. Let me I'll Google it. Okay. Uh oh yeah. I remember this. Um people people enjoyed this show. That's something. We'll take that. <laughs> well, yeah, I have nothing more to add. We'll keep going. I mean, I'm always up for some double O two, because double O two is easily the best part of the show. It's a one horse race and Millie Bam up for it. So let's keep rolling, I say. Let's keep on trucking. The trucks will continue to truck for the time being. Mm-hmm. Now that we've given our ratings, Shadon, I think that's a wrap. Why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you? Well, you can find me um, on Twitter at Shaden1010 or on Curious Cat at curiouscat.me forward slash Shaden. 
feel free to, you know, drop me a line. Hell, if you want, if you want to send me your best, you know, riffs on the show's innuendo, like, and make all the jokes you want about it, send me some, send me some screenshots with new dialogue in it. Like, you know, let's, let's have a little composition here. Just send me, send me screenshots with, like, how you would make the dialogue even worse if possible. Like, or even more blatant, I mean to say. I'd be up for that. Man, this episode will be a bummer, I think, in any season, but I will just say that it is not helped by the fact that at the beginning of this season, we all binge watch Devil Man Cry Baby. Well, you've some, you know, quality is a sine wave, and sometimes you gotta have a downer to follow your upper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean to be fair, that that is admittedly always going to be unfair comparison because what can follow that? Very, very little. But you can at least try. Oh yeah. I mean, if it was competent, I mean, it, it, okay. Anyway, we've been over this. We're retreading right now. <clears throat> If you want to find me on the internet, uh, you can tweet me at the subtle doctor or curious cat me at curiouscat.me slash the subtle doctor to ask me long questions or get long answers. Please keep on supporting the show, despite how down we are on it now and how lukewarm, maybe maybe a bit warmer than lukewarm we were on episode one of this stream of thought. Episode one is doing quite well, so I don't know, like we haven't gotten a lot of actual feedback. But the listens are high, so people seem interested. Let us know how you feel about this show and us covering it. Keep on uh, supporting and downloading and subscribing at uh, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Follow Watery Desho on Twitter. Email us, wateruidesho at gmail.com. Let us know all your feelings on this show and our other shows that have come out that you have listened to. Indeed. Thank you all very much for supporting the show so far. It will go on. Unless Starling and the Frax gives us very six strong reasons not to want for us to take it any further, you can bet your backsides we're going to keep looking at it. I mean, we can, I can certainly bet on there being backsides in the show. And that's the note I will see this podcast out on. Laters! Oh, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. Good night.